from the poisonous studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another horrifying episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, mad scientist Mike McGrath. What's the scariest plant that can appear in your backyard? Giant hogweed, poison ivy, poison hemlock maybe because it closely resembles Queen Anne's lace. On today's show, we'll vote for pokeweed because its toxic purple berries are so tempting to kids. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show. Cats and kittens, yes, potential guests are busy examining their elderberries. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and fantastically furious fulminations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's coming up faster than you pulling up poisonous plants right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to a special Halloween edition of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your horrifying host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we will talk about a horrifying plant. Even though it's poisonous, its beautiful berries are very attractive to children and pests, and it can cause severe problems. There's also a great song about it. I could have picked a lot of poisonous plants, but this one had a number one hit. But before that, a recent newspaper article that is more horrifying than Godzilla, Dracula, and the mummy all put together. Here you go. Normally we do what's called a B-roll, but this is such a big picture, I think you can see it. And maybe even you can read the headline, uh, which is Bumblebee may be on the road to extinction. These are some of my favorite insects. The American bumblebee, a widespread species that appears to be in decline, is being reviewed by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for possible federal protection under the Endangered Species Act. Man, we can't wait to kill this planet, can we? We're doing it uh, all over the place. The Xerces Society for Invertebrate Protection lists the reasons as pesticide use, climate change, and loss of habitat. Um, this is more scary than the original Frankenstein. If the bumblebee goes, we're out of here. We're dead meat. So I hope they do put it under the um, Endangered Species Act. And please, don't use pesticides in your garden. Don't use treated seed. I'm serious. If the native bees go, we're out of here. So please be nice to your bees. They're not going to sting you. They're just going to make food and flowers. Ugh, I can never retire, can I? No, I got to do this forever. All right, time for your fabulous phone calls. 888-492-9444. Bruce, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. This is Bruce down in uh, sunny Blacksburg, Virginia. Oh, I know that area Where? very well. Yeah. What's yeah. your weather like this time of year? Um, right now, it's actually supposed to get up into the... Uh, 
upper 70s. We've, we've had some nights in the 40s, mm-hmm. that fall transition. Hey, let me just course. interrupt you for a second and remind everybody who wants to try bringing in their pepper plants for the winter or who has house plants outside. Don't wait until frost is predicted. Bring those plants in as soon as your temperatures drop into the 40s. Because one of my favorite rules of gardening, cowards always win. All right, Bruce, what can we do you for? Well, thank you for that reminder, because years ago I took your advice about bringing my peppers in, and they're sturdy plants after three winters. Isn't it amazing? Spending the day inside. I got that idea when I saw habanero trees in New Mexico uh, that were 20, 30 years old. Because if they're protected from frost, uh, hot peppers and sweet peppers are perennial. So if you treat them right, rinse them down real well, because aphids like to hide on them, and keep them under bright lights for, you know, like 16 hours, something like that during the day in a warm place, you know, you don't start out with these tiny little things. You start out, you know, and if you want to brag to your neighbors, you, when it's time to take your pepper plants out again in the in the spring, ask them, can you come over and help me move my pepper plants out? They're huge. <laughs> so you get bragging rights. Yes. Well, I'm far, I have a low enough altitude or latitude that I can actually get by with a good deal of just ordinary light through the windows and a little just supplemental lighting indoors. Well, see, you're talking to somebody who used to raise plants for the Philadelphia Flower Show. Yeah. So, you know, um, I used to have these heavy-duty industrial, like, uh, I think they were mostly plants for growing mar- uh, for plants, marijuana plants, growing marijuana plants indoors. But I used them for hot peppers. And they were so expensive to run. And now I use those, they call them deformable LEDs. Mm-hmm. They cost almost nothing, and the plants just love it. Yes. But anyway, my question had to do with much smaller plants. Okay. I have, throughout the year, moss on my asphalt shingle roof. Right, because when the trees leaf out, it gets very shady there. And I have most of the trees on and near my property are 60 to 70 feet tall, things like Norway... uh, Spruces, big red oaks, mm. other things that will drop nutrient on my roof all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, I usually go up on on the roof about every six weeks to two months on, on average with a blower to, to blast stuff out of my gutters. Right. Uh, but I... and. Even though the roof isn't too steeply pitched, I don't really feel like kneeling down on it to scrape them off <laughs> no. with my Medicare card. Yeah, no, no, no. We're all getting too old for that. I'm actually going to look into gutter guards pretty soon. So I was just curious what your recommendations would be on uh, eliminating or at least controlling the, the the moss. I've got clumps of nice, bright, green, frilly stuff. I've yeah. got spots about the size of quarters that are more of a mm-hmm. bronze color. And for uh, just visual relief, I have a lot of, of nice, flat, light gray lichen. Oh, okay. Well, you're probably not liking that lichen now, are you? Well, it's very scenic, but... Yeah. Okay, so here's the straight skinny. Um I had to have 
uh, the majority of my roofing replaced um, like five, 10 years ago. We came home from my wife's parents' house on Christmas night to find a waterfall in the uh, in the kitchen. And insurance covered everything, but they made us put on a new roof because the shingles had, um, you know, passed their sell-by date. And so that part of the roof was finished. But I have a kind of a, a hobbit house on the end with a lot of angles and stuff, and they wanted a fortune to re-shingle that little part, much more than the main roofing. So I never did it, and thinking, well, you know, if anything happens over here, I just won't make a claim. <laughs> but what has happened is on the front side of the house that you see from the street, it has become a hobbit hole. Uh, the roof over there is completely covered with moss. And then we get into this big debate, isn't it damaging the roof? Well, moss has no roots. So it is, it's just there. In my opinion, it's not doing any harm. And I've had moss on that part of the house for, man, a good 25 years. And I like it. I would like to have it fill in more. But if you don't like your moss, and there's a divergence of opinion on whether it, it hurts roofing, I think it looks beautiful. So if you want to get rid of your moss, what I would suggest to you and get some, make sure you get somebody else to hold the ladder and everything. But don't just, quote, kill it. Take it down off the roof and put it on sheets of bark. You know, like when you cut firewood, the bark eventually falls off. Lay the moss on top of that, put it in a shady spot with water, and you've got the beginnings of an excellent little moss display. Then it's my understanding that if you put, uh, they make these things for the pitch of a roof that are made of zinc, and zinc is a moss repellent, so every time it rains, uh, these zinc structures uh, keep the moss off your roof. So it's, it's really up to you. I love mine. Like I said, I would like to get it to fill in, and I even, I must have let my garden beds get too acidic because we had, uh, we had moss in one of the beds. And I did just what I'm saying. We put it on to tree bark, and now it's like we're just figuring out exactly the best way to display it. Hmm. That's interesting. And the zinc has no toxic effect beyond uh, keeping the moss from re rejuvenating? I have, to, um, I have to do a promised question of the week on zinc. Uh, but what I'll tell you right now is in small amounts, zinc is an essential nutrient for people and plants. So okay. it's not like you're putting barrels of mercury up there. I just want to make sure, because all my gutters and downspouts are going into to diverters into my uh, more or less uh, naturalized landscape. Oh, I don't think the small amounts of zinc that will come off of that will be any problem at all. But I'll also address that issue when I do this question of the week. Oh, great. All right, Bruce. Okay, so I thank you for the idea about the, the bark. I no longer have sycamores the way I did growing up in Delaware County um, to put on, but I'll try to do that. I know my neighbor is trying to cultivate a, uh, a, a moss patch in, in her yard. Oh, well, then take your moss to her. I, I will do that, and I will look for the, uh, the, the zinc strips uh, I, I don't. I'm happy to have some of the color and texture on the roof, but so long as I'm still able to climb on the roof with the blower, 
I don't want to have a little bit of extra slipperiness underfoot. Right, right. Yeah, the moss, uh, the downside for me is it holds branches and fallen leaves. Yeah. All right, Bruce, we got to go. Okay, well, thanks a lot, Mike. Have a great uh, day and a great fall. Oh, I love fall. It's my favorite season, man. All Mine, right. too. You take care. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break. What? That didn't sound like a vampire. Yeah. It's time for me to take a little break and remind you that this is the best time of year to buy and plant new trees and shrubs. They're almost certainly on sale, and their survival rate is much better than when planted in the spring. But don't go shrub shopping just yet, because we'll be right back with a greatly misunderstood poisonous plant and more of your fabulous phone calls. Bet you thought I was going to say poisonous phone calls, didn't you? I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a special Halloween episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. What is it? What is Welcome back to a horrifying Halloween special, You Bet Your Garden. See, we got the skeleton, King Kong, and Frankenstein. Oh, and we have this green dragon-like creature as well. Who is that? Anyone out there who knows the answer, send it in an email, ybyg at wlvt.org, and we will announce your name on the air. You'll be famous for like 10 seconds. Anyway, it is time to get back to your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Don, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Good afternoon, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you, Don. Thank you for making it. Good uh, morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it happens to be. So um, where are you, Don? I'm in Morrisville, Pennsylvania, Okay, right across the Delaware River from Trenton, New Jersey. There you go. Trenton takes, the world makes. No, that's not right. I cross that bridge all the time. <laughs> so you really know what it means we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. All right. What can we do for Don? I have had a disaster in my uh, raised bed where my tomatoes are growing. Oh. Oh. About a month ago, I started to notice it looked like wilt 
initially. The leaves were yellowing and dying from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I went and took a careful look at them. I cut off some leaves and examined them with a hand lens. And what I see, it looks like um, a shotgun blast of little black paintballs. I mean, just tiny black spots all over the bottom of the leaf. Hmm. And then the, as the leaves, as it goes on in time, the, the spots will come through to the top. They get bigger. Leaf turns yellow and dies. Hmm. My, my Google research says it's either bacterial speck or bacterial spot. And yeah. uh, if I'm right, it's a disease caused by infected seed. And well, it can it's be not very common, but it can be. In, well, it's common enough when it hits you. Um, it can be infected seed, or it can come in on plants when you buy transplants. Uh, but and that's how, how I think I, I got it. I did buy some transplants. Mm. Um, they were um, grafted brandywines. Brandywines are grafted onto a disease-resistant rootstock. Right. And then I got another one just because it was a kind of tomato I'd never grown before, and I was curious. Right. So I had three of those, and there was one tomato that, you know, that could be the problem, too. It's uh, super sweet, but it, I've been collecting the seed from this tomato for about 15 years, and each year I, I plant it again. Right. Um, but I, as a control on that, I have two of the other super sweet plants in different places, and they don't have it. Good, good. Um, so, you know, uh, bacterial speck is a fatal disease. There's no cure for it this season. Um, now, the different, it, it is very difficult to diagnose diseases um, by just looking at the plant. Uh, it's, it's I understand. Only, only because tomatoes are prone to so many different diseases, and uh, the climate keeps changing. So what would ne not have affected us five years ago is now prevalent. So you have these little, um, you have these dots all over your leaves. What about your fruit? Um, the fruit so far has been, uh, some of it has gotten infected, but most of it looks okay. Right. And the advice I was seeing on the internet, so it's got to be true, <laughs> um, says that you can't eat the fruit. You're supposed to throw oh, it away. And the fruit looks good. It looks like, I mean, brandy wines look like a brandy wine should. You know, they got a few cracks right around the stem on mm -hmm. some of them. And the cherry tomatoes, they look marvelous. They're, they're larger than your average cherry tomatoes. I guess I've bred for it. Yeah, that's great. But, so, but they're delicious. I love them. But yeah. I've been afraid to eat them. No. That you can get ill from them. That's nonsense. Um, okay. I, I like your answer. Oh, yeah. I mean, there should be a license to post on the Internet or something like that. They were like, you know, extensions, uh, agriculture extensions for oh, different states. Well, where you know, that's a mistake that a lot of people make. Um, agricultural extension offices and the ag agents do their best, but they're not really specialists. So when, you know, they're told, oh, we need an article on bacterial spec, um, they're going to go back to their old books. So it's, it's very different than to have this kind of gestalt uh, of coming in from 16 different directions. Um, if the fruit is, shows symptoms of the bacterial speck, 
it is still safe to eat. Just cut away those parts, like like uh, peel the tomato and uh, make sauce out of it. If the tomato looks good, it's a good tomato. Um, oh, I'm glad to hear it. Then it's killing me to throw away perfectly good-looking brandy wine. Yeah, especially without me on the road, and w- so you don't even have a target to throw it at, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm keeping it a little bit under control. I used, when I was a flat earth gardener, I, I had wilt established in my, um, uh, my my flat earth bed. Right. And I would control it by growing indeterminate tomatoes, mm-hmm. and I'd prune off the uh, dead leaves or the right. yellowing leaves mm-hmm. um, and hope the tomato outgrew the wilt. Um, and, and that's working a little bit. And, oh, you know, good. Right now, I, I've probably I've taken off three or four feet of leaves, mm-hmm. but... Above that, you know, it still looks good. It doesn't show symptoms yet. I mean, but it's they're prog- it's progressing up. I'm going to lose the battle eventually. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah. we're 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 getting close to the finish line anyway. Um, now you're they're in raised beds, right? Yes. And I I would imagine that you know not to plant tomatoes after tomatoes now, right? Yeah, I have three raised beds, so I. Um, move them around to a different bed each year. So they get one year on, two years off. How many plants do you have and how many of them are affected or how many of them show no signs? Um, I have four plants in this one bed that shows the symptoms. All four Mm -hmm. um, have it. Um, Even, you know, three that I I got and one that I grew from my own seed. Um, I have two elsewhere. I put one in a pot because I had an extra plant. Yeah, I sure. Had potting soil. I just put it in a pot. Good. Then I was going to throw another one away. I didn't have any place to put it, but I dug a hole in the ground and put it in the ground. There you go. And I'm glad I did. That's a, the best-looking tomato plant I got right now. Okay. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and do a major search-and-destroy mission. I want you to spend, you know, get up early one morning and, you know, plick, plick, plick off. Now, you've never been given that advice to plick something off. <laughs> yeah. No, it's usually something else. Uh, it's the end of a long day here, Don. Uh, <laughs> uh, pluck off every discolored leaf you can find, literally everyone, and then be ready with a copper solution. Um, copper goes back to uh, ancient Roman and Greece times was used to, um, control diseases on grapevines. So then spray what's left with copper. Don't overdo the copper, but do give it a good spraying this first time. Clean up underneath your tomato plants. Make sure there's no fallen leaves down there. I'm doing that all along. Okay. And do you have any compost? Yes. I would spread compost underneath the affected plants. So ideally now we're starting out with perfect looking plants. There's copper involved. There is um, compost involved. And if one of them starts to go south really fast, you have to do what they say, which is pull it up and, you know, put it in a trash bag and put it out with the garbage. But um, it sounds like your case is so mild. I, I, to me, it sounds like you could fight it. 
And um, but next year, don't use that bed for anything solanaceous. Um, no, no potatoes, no tomatoes, no peppers. Eggplant? No, solanaceous. Okay. Yeah. I'll put my carrots there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you know, I I think you're in good shape. Sorry it happened, but um, you know. That's, you know, gardening is not for the timid, Don. You, you want everything to be perfect every year. You better take up woodworking and be good at it. Yeah, I, I, I've learned best from my mistakes. And, yeah, uh, that's the only way men learn. Um, a man who makes no mistakes during his lifetime will die just as ignorant as the day he was born. But the, and he's probably a liar, too. But the guy at the cocktail party whose eyebrows appear to have been burned off and has this massive bandage over the top of his forehead, there's a guy who's got knowledge, and he's got a story to tell you about it. Thank you for what you've told me. I appreciate it very much. I'm happy to reassure you. All right, you take care, pal. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Denise, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. I have to tell you, I'm so thrilled. I've been wanting to talk to you probably for 30 years, so this is really exciting for me. Okay. Well, it's funny you mentioned 30 years, because uh, when this show airs, it will be the end of 23 years being on wow. the air. Okay. We, we started at that little uh, community station in Philadelphia back in October of 98, and I, I can never figure out how to figure these things. But to me, that means I got 23 years in the bag and this show begins the 24th. So in two years, we're going to have a party. Party. <clears throat> OK, <laughs> so where where are you, Denise? I'm in Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. I know it. I know it. You know, it's weird because you're the back way to Jersey. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what can we do uh, for Denise, who is not in the Garden State? Well, I want to be proactive, and I have an area that's about 4 feet by 10 feet next to my garage. Okay. And it faces east, but it only, because of the way my house is um, configured, it only gets um, sun from about 11 to 2. And mm. the soil is pretty, has a lot of clay in it. And I want to plant now so that I can have wonderful things in the spring and next year. 11 to 2, you say. So that's just three hours. You're like an hour short. Right. <laughs> Is there, isn't there any other place on your landscape? Um, certainly. There's other places that I could put it where it's not, um, you know, where, where definitely things get more sun. It's just that the garage looks so ugly and unsightly because there's nothing next to it. But I can certainly consider another location for sure. Right. So what I advise people to do in your situation is think of things other than plants that will dress up the area. Uh, you know, what what color is the garage? Is it a nice shape? Um, it's, yes, it's an, in nice shape. It has some Pennsylvania stone and sort of a uh, gray exterior. Okay. So it's stone? Mm -hmm. Oh, that would be perfect. Um, what I'm going to suggest is you get some interesting pieces of sculpture and make a little sculpture garden out there. And you can plant a couple of shade-loving ground covers at the base. And, you know, it'll be beautiful without uh, making your plants sad and unhappy. 
Okay, fantastic. What ground covers would you recommend? Uh, I guess Pacassandra is the coward's way out. Okay. <laughs> and, okay. You know, I always take that path. But uh, go okay. online and um, punch up shade-loving ground covers for Pennsylvania. That'll give you a okay. real good list. You can go over, uh, talk to your local independent garden center um, about which ones they'll have in the spring. If they have them now, it would be a great time to install them. But okay. Make some nice focal points. I have some giant uh, metal sculptures of things like dragonflies and stuff that I, um, you know, half moons, things like that, that I just scatter throughout the garden. But if you were creative, and I bet you're more creative than I am, you can really make a statement out of that area. Okay. That sounds great. I okay. didn't think about that. And that gives me a lot of... Uh a lot to work with. Thank you so much for everything you do. I just so enjoy your show. Well, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to kick you off right yet. Uh, do you still want to? Oh, do you still want to plant some stuff? Absolutely. Well, spring bulbs, um, tulips, okay. daffodils, crocuses. Um, the time to put those in has not yet arrived, and garden centers may actually be putting them on on sale you know, half price, you know, 20% off, something like that pretty soon because they got to clear out all this stuff to get ready for Christmas and the giant inflatable Homer Simpsons that take up so much space. <laughs> and okay, maybe plan next year on having, um, having some garlic ready to plant in September. Okay. And... Otherwise, if you're willing to buy into a couple of season extending devices, like little mm -hmm. little tunnels with hoops in them covered with remay, um, you could you could start mm -hmm. salad greens now. There's no reason not to. Okay, that's great because uh, I, I've actually wanted to do that, but I wasn't sure how how to go about it. Yeah, um, you know, I know that I know they help uh, underwrite the show, uh, but still, they have the best stuff that I've used. Gardens Alive sells all different varieties of uh, row cover, season extending devices that come with their own hoops already. So, I mean, you take it out of the bag, it opens like a slinky, you put it in the ground and everybody goes home early. Okay. Sounds, sounds pretty, um, that sounds like it's right up my alley in terms of my skill level and needing something relatively easy. So that's good. Okay. And just remember that uh, everybody's predicting a hellacious winter to come. So uh, when it comes to row covers, wherever you get them, you'll have a choice of lightweight or heavyweight. You want heavyweights. Okay. All right. All right. I got my plow guy all gassed up and ready. All righty. I'll plan on that then. Thanks so much for the uh, great advice. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take another little break and remind you to resist the impulse to prune anything at this time of year, or you do run the risk of losing those precious plants. They might re-sprout and then freeze to death. But don't go looking for the reasons why at the question and answer section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with important information about the prettiest poisonous plant and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
welcome back to another horrifying Halloween episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your horrifying host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week, which involves a very scary plant. In the meantime, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Laura, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you for having me on today. Well, thank you for being had, Laura. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready for fall. Oh, okay. Well, depending on where you live, fall is here. Where are you? <laughs> I am in Buckcannon, West Virginia. Oh, okay. Very good. What can we do you for? I, I got a bad start. I, I got my plants um, from a friend who did seed starting, and whenever I got them, they looked pretty piddly. And I didn't do any prep work to my beds. I pretty much threw them in the ground, and then we left for vacation, and it's just been a busy summer. Mm-hmm. My, my big question is, what can I do this fall to ensure that all the weeds have been put to bed and I, I can I can mitigate it as much as possible <laughs> now for the spring. <laughs> Laura, I think all the weeds have been put to bed. They got nice blankies and pillows and hot chocolate. <laughs> They're going to be really happy in the spring. There's no miracles yeah. in this business. Now, is your garden raised beds? They are, yes. Okay, good. How big are the beds? Um, they're about 20 feet long each and four feet wide. Okay, that's excellent. Well, the first thing you want to do after the next rain, go out and, you know, pull the weeds slowly from the soil level. Try to get the roots out. And okay. don't try to, you know, compound your mistakes by devoting like 18 hours to this and you never want to garden again. You do one better, half a bed a day, and then you move on. And then... Okay. If you want some insurance, have you ever heard me talk about flame weeders? Yes. So what, I'm interested. They're very easy uh, to find online or even at better independent garden centers. And all you do is screw a little uh, camp-sized propane bottle onto the, mm-hmm. uh, the high end of the uh, shepherd's hook. Down below is where the flame comes out, and they all have clickers now to... Um, turn the flame on without you having to light mm-hmm. it like in the old days. Then I would just go over the beds, linger um, in places where there were a lot of weeds or weed seeds. Try to, you know, essentially solarize it out of season. But go to a good independent garden center and buy high quality plants. Because uh, if you okay. start with plants that are half dead, it it often doesn't get any better. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. It is time for our Halloween special question of the week. Pokeweed, threat or menace? And did the gators really eat her granny? Back in September, Julian nearby Hereford, PA, posed a question on the next door site for our neighborhood which is mostly about lost cats, car accidents, and stuff. She posted a photo of pokeweed, a poisonous Native American plant with distinctively flat purple berries, and asked, does anyone know what this is? As of today, there are close to 100 responses. Sherry, also in Hereford, immediately replied, pokeweed, it's toxic. 
short, correct, and to the point. Then things got weird. Jim in Green Lane called it pokeberry and said, well, it can be toxic. Well, that was enough for me, so I chimed in to simply say, pokeweed, do not eat it. Then Ben in Quakertown shook the hornet's nest by claiming, actually, poke has a lot of health benefits if eaten right. Now that got my Irish up. You can't say things like this about a highly toxic plant. I replied that only the young leaves in spring can be eaten, and only after a repeated regimen of boiling and rinsing, as in the song Poke Salad Annie, the gators ate your granny, adding that the berries are poisonous. Then Ben returned with a very large monkey wrench. Quote, I've never personally tried it or looked into it until briefly just now. I've heard from multiple people over the years that parts can be eaten. Upon brief research, it does seem that it's mostly the leaves, but it is also said that the berries can be eaten in very small amounts to help with certain illnesses. I have a few friends who are very into herbalist stuff, and they have said that they've eaten it or mentioned its health benefits. That's all I know. This is exactly why I warn people to stick to reputable websites and not irresponsible chatter. Always stick with the safest advice. Never lead people closer to the river Styx. Then Ben pulls around again, claiming that his younger sister ate a few when they were kids and the hospital said not to bother coming in. Hmm, that would be a pricey lawsuit today. John in Upper Salkin jumped to my defense with criminy. If Mike McGrath says don't eat it, don't eat it, followed by blush-worthy compliments. Thank you, John. Then Stella from Springfield, PA, sent the scariest note. I'm quite surprised at these responses because I have one of these plants and I've been treating it as elderberry for years, making a syrup and using it for myself and my grandkids. Yeah, they look similar, But here are the differences. Some of the research on pokeberry shows that it is not as toxic as people believe and is even used to make jelly. Uh, I can never retire, can I? I will continue to research this topic, but I guess to be on the safe side, I'll just buy elderberry syrup from now on. Boom. The pokeweed berries in her cited article's photo look nothing like the American pokeweed, P. americana, that grows wild all over our area. Oh, and neither plant looks anything like elderberries. They're round. These are flat. Although simply called pokeweed in the article, a little research showed it to be a vastly different variety whose common name is Indian pokeweed, which is native to India and the Far East and can now be found in Europe, not the Native Americans I thought it meant. There is also a Mexican pokeweed, but little seems to be known about these other species. There are around 30 different varieties worldwide, and all are presumed to be toxic to mammals, but not birds, who gleefully spread the seeds. It turns out that there are many recorded fatalities among grazing farm animals, but few reports of human death. However, humans who eat the berries, stems, and or roots of this plant may wish they were dead. 
the National Poison Control Center, puts it succinctly. Pokeberries are found in grape-like clusters on tall perennials with purple-red stems. Eating several berries can cause pain, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Adults have eaten the roots, mistaking them for medicinal plants. Serious gastrointestinal problems have occurred, including bloody vomiting, bloody diarrhea, and dangerously low blood pressure. Charming! Now, what can be eaten very carefully is poke salad or poke salad. In regions of the American South and other rural areas, gathering poke salad in the spring is an annual but somewhat dangerous event. The gatherers, like the made famous by song Poke Salad Annie, clip off the very youngest leaves, take them home, and boil and rinse them three times to remove most of the toxins. The result is mixed with other spring greens, including dandelion leaves, purslane, wild onion, and wild garlic, and cooked down in a pot with water and eaten as a soup or stew with the leftover liquid called pot liquor especially prized. But let me make it clear. These spring tonics are poverty foods that supply essential vitamins, minerals, and naturally occurring phytochemicals to people who have little to no food to eat after winter. Before you decide to try anything like this, take a class on foraging from a reputable source. Do not trust unaffiliated sources. As they say about wild mushrooms, there are old mushroom hunters and there are bold mushroom hunters, uh, but there are no old, bold mushroom hunters. And if you're picking poke down south, be sure to be aware of your surroundings, lest gators eat you like they ate granny. Mm. came up from Corpus Christi. Now some of y'all are still ain't never been down south. I'm gonna tell you about it one more time. So that you understand what we're talking about. Now down there we got a plant. Something like a turnip green, except it ain't. Cause everybody calls it poke salad. That's poke salad. Now you know a girl lived down there. She'd go out in the evenings and pick her a little bit of it. Carry it home and cook it for supper. And if she had any leftover, she'd hang it out on the clothesline and dry it out and smoke it. But she did all right, y'all. <laughs> Down in Louisiana, where the alligator grows so mean. 
That sure was some good information about pokeweed now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read that article over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Anybody tries to change it, I unleash my monsters. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you'll always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to plant pokeweed on my property. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444. 
or send us your email. You're tired. You're poor. You're wretched emails teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. Please include your location or Godzilla will come and get you. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows and old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast, all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he fell asleep next to a nuclear reactor and woke up looking more like Homer Simpson than anyone should. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Joni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Teresa Radke. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director of direction is Javier Diaz. Our usual gang of idiots often includes Jazzy Jeff Frederick, the esteemed Eric Werner, Zach the Takwisneski, Jacob Morris, and whoever else happens to be around. Our seldom seen but still beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, is so mysterious he even scares himself. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be outside scaring trick-or-treaters with my brand-new, life-size, motion-activated skeleton with light-up eyes. And I'll also be sucking up leaves and pulling up poke until I can see you again next week.